I'm going to start by saying thank you to the praise team for stepping up this week and <laughs> guys did a great job. I remember uh, when I was in seventh grade and was up on, uh, well, actually that was in the back of the church because that was a different position church. But anyway, I remember what that was like and uh, just appreciate you guys being willing to do something uh, you haven't done before. And, uh, and again, one thing that we want to be committed to as a church is to always be integrating our youth and kids into our service. We don't just shove them off to the side. We want them a part of our body from very early on. So thank you guys uh, for doing that. Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. I want to make an audacious claim as I begin here that this passage is one of the most helpful and most important passages on biblical community that you will find in the book of Acts. That this is a passage that you need to memorize and know where it is. That when there is conflict, because isn't that the lie? We think that, (laughs) oh, if there's going to be conflict, if there's going to be problems. No, no, no. We have too many sinners in the building right now. It's when there are problems and when there are conflict. (laughs) What do we do? Well, we'll get there. Thank you, Florence. But yeah, that is, (laughs) thank you for stealing one of my points. No. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> yeah. blame me. That's the other one. Uh, no, that's, that's not one of the points. No. Maybe it should be. Anyway. Anyway. What do we do to guard the unity of the church? What do we do when the members of our faith family here have significant needs? What do we do when our differences tend to push us apart instead of drawing us together? What do we do? How do we live out what Paul says in the book of Ephesians? First three verses of chapter 4, where he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. What do we do? How do we obey that in the nitty-gritty of life in community. Because it's not always going to be easy. We're not always going to want to do the hard work of living in community. But what we're going to see this morning as we look at Acts chapter 6, page 914, if you're following along in one of the chair Bibles, is that the answer to those questions is to serve. That the answer to maintaining unity is to serve one another. And the importance of the behind-the-scenes detailed serving 
that is the glue that holds the community together. I also want to specifically say to the men this morning that, that some of you may not resonate with certain jobs in the church. You may not resonate with the idea of coming up here and preaching a sermon. This is your chapter. Because I have found, especially men, speaking to you, that many have found life in serving in this way and have breathed new life into the way they interact with the body of Christ at the local church. So I want to encourage you and I want you to pay attention to this story because it will change how we act as a church. And it will change your life and how you interact with others. So the big idea there, again, if you're following along in the outline in your bulletin, God has called us to serve one another, to care for each other, to support the ministry of the word, and to maintain unity. Now this story begins in a way that a lot of good stories begin. It begins with a problem. So let's look at verse 1 to see the problem. Again, follow along as I read and as we have the words posted on the screen there. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So we begin with a good problem. The church is growing. But that problem, the growing complexity of the community, the just growth in sheer numbers of people led to a bad problem. And the bad problem is that there were some who were being neglected in what the Bible calls the daily distribution so this is something that the church did. There was a, probably a distribution of food. There was probably a distribution of other needs like clothing and other essentials. And there probably was even some distribution of money for the needs of these widows. But because there were more and more, we might say some had fallen through the cracks. We might say that the way that they were doing things wasn't working anymore because they couldn't remember everyone. Or there was some favoritism. Maybe there was a problem in that the people serving served their friends first, and then when they got to not their friends, there wasn't enough left for them. For whatever reason... All of God's people were not being cared for, which was a problem. Now, what does it mean when it talks about the Hellenists and the Hebrews? Let me just give you a quick definition. If you have more questions, you can come talk to me about this later. The Hebrews, reference there, again, these are all Christians. These are all believers. The Hebrews are probably referring to Christians who grew up and lived in Jerusalem. Their first 
language was probably Hebrew or Aramaic. Okay, that's the Hebrews. The Hellenists were probably people living in Jerusalem, because that's where this story takes place, but had grown up outside of Jerusalem. And their, their first language was probably Greek. And so what you have here is the neglect happens along a difference in culture. Because growing up outside of Jerusalem and growing up inside of Jerusalem, you would have grown up differently. And it's a reminder to us of how Satan likes to get a foothold in the differences and tries to push us apart as a community of believers. And how differences can sometimes be the fault line of cracks in our community. Here, it's sort of social-ethnic differences. Again, speaking a different first language, growing up with different customs. But just think about all the differences that it could be. We have racial differences. We have economic differences, sort of the white-collar, blue-collar divide. Think about our island. Think about the difference between South Whidbey, Central Whidbey, and North Whidbey. <laughs> Just on our little island here. And then, and then don't even get me started in all the individual differences between all of us. <laughs> Again, all of these differences are opportunities for conflict because we don't do everything the same. So what do we do? What does the church do? And, and, and let, me just, let me just say this, that the diversity that we see in this local church, again, of those who are Jerusalem natives and those who have moved from other parts of the world, that that is a diversity we want to maintain in our church here. One of the biggest I see is a diversity of ages. You know, you've got everyone from, from baby Adam to Pastor Dave. Those are going to be my two bookends this morning. If you want to be one of my bookends, let me know. But <laughs> there's a whole lot of difference in there, isn't it? They both have great smiles, but, but you know, there, after there, there's a lot of differences between those two. We have a difference of politics here. We, we might even have a difference in opinion of music. There are so many different people here. It's amazing we each don't have our own church. What was the joke? There was a joke about a desert island, and, and the guy washes up on the desert island. He finds two guys in three buildings. <laughs> and the guy's like, well, that's my church right there. And what was the second building? Well, that's my church there. And what's the third church? Oh, that's the first church we left. <laughs> but again, I mean, just, just look around. We don't have... We don't have a lot of the differences that exist in this world, but we have enough. Personality. 
You get a strong extrovert and a strong introvert. All the strong introverts are thinking, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but again, as Ephesians says, being committed to maintaining the spirit in the bonds of peace. But how do you do that in the nitty-gritty of everyday life? Because there are so many things that Satan wants to use to split us apart. But we have one Savior and one Spirit who has bound us together. And so we cannot let our differences separate us. And what's needed are servants. Let's look at the proposed solution in verses 2 to 4. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So look at what happens here. They call a congregational meeting. They made sure they had a quorum because they called the full number of disciples. So the 12, the leaders of this early church, call everybody together and say, look, we got a problem. We have a problem that we can't fix. And they call for a division of labor. So look at what the, the, the apostles say. It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So the 12, the 12 apostles say, look, we need to preach the word. That is what God has primarily called us to do. And we don't have time to do both the daily distribution and preaching the word of God faithfully. Now what he doesn't say is, well, let's just stop the daily distribution. (laughs) That's not an option. Because we have to care for the community, and again, we saw this earlier in Acts, in a way that there was no need among them. So it's not optional just to say, well, forget the daily distribution. But, but, But we can't be the ones to do it, the apostles are saying. It's important, but, but we, can't, we can't neglect teaching and preaching the word of God to do this other necessary thing. And, and, and let me just pause here and talk about, again, this is sort of personal for me. <laughs> because I feel that I've been called to preach the word of God, and I also need others in the congregation to do the care like the daily distribution. There needs to be in every congregation a spreading out of care that, that more than just the pastors and the elders are involved for caring for the congregation. There has to be a division of labor. And you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of 
how frequent the body metaphor is used for the church in the Bible. Because you think about it, such a good, such a good metaphor that each part has its own job. And the different parts don't do the other part's job. And so you get that funny picture, it's meant to be humorous, of a body that's all eyes, or a body that's all ears. Okay, that's meant to be funny. It's okay to laugh when you read that in your Bible. Because it is ridiculous. Because you just, you can't have a body with just ears. You can't have a body with just eyes. It doesn't work. And in the same way, God has gifted us to do different things in the community for the good of the community. And so you can be a pancreas for Jesus, and you don't have to worry about being the right arm. Poor pancreas. I always pick on the pancreas. I want to give you, out of Romans chapter 12, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And again, this isn't even all of it. It's, it's a sample list, but it shows the diversity of giftings. And each person is called to do their part. And that makes sense with the body. Right? The ankle doesn't listen. But it needs to be the ankle so that the body can move. It needs to own its job as the ankle. And it needs to love being an ankle. <laughs> but how do we know how does the early church know who to pick for this? Because the apostles are saying, look, we, 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 just, we don't have time. We're not able to do this. We need other people. But I want to look at how they pick. Look at verse 3. Therefore, brothers, this is referring to the, the congregation there, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. First thing we need to see, seven men of good repute or good reputation. These are people who are known for godliness, have a reputation for godliness and doing the right thing. When you look at leadership in the Bible, the first and most prominent qualifications are always character-based. If you look at the qualifications for elder and deacon in the later pastoral epistles, you will see almost every qualification is character. 
Secondly, they are full of the Spirit. And, and this is one way that the Bible talks about a maturity of the believer, that they are mature believers. One author has put that to be full of the Spirit is that their lives are directed by God's Spirit. Thus, it is a picture of maturity that you are, that you allow the Spirit to lead in your life. And third, that they're full of wisdom. And again, wisdom is, 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 is applying knowledge in a godly way. So they're able to make the right decisions. They allow God's word to affect how they make decisions. Those are the people the early church needs to be servants to the body. So that's the proposed solution. It's brought to the floor for a vote. I think that it didn't need to be seconded because it came from all 12 apostles. But next I want us to see the unified response of the church. So we had the problem Now here's the proposal of what we should do. Now the question is, is the church going to do it? Or are they going to do some other thing? So let's look at verses 5 to 7. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of the Lord continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. First thing I want us to see is that they agreed to the proposal. Look at verse 5a, the beginning of verse 5. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. There's unity in decision making in the early church. They agreed that this was the way to solve the problem. But I also think it's appropriate to look at what they didn't do. They didn't create the Hellenist Community Church and the Hebraic Bible Church. Might have been easier. Might have been easier just to split up. But I mention that because we have a great blessing in this country that there are so many churches. That we have a great freedom to express ourselves and express our Christianity in a way with comparatively little opposition. Again, compared to the world. But one problem with all of the churches is that I see too many times how easy it is for when there is conflict for someone to just leave and go to a church down the road. And they take that blessing from God, which is the freedom 
to worship and to gather. And it's used to avoid conflict, to not have to have the consequences of conflict, and it's to take the easy road instead of the right road. Now, let me give you your caveat that there are circumstances in which you should leave a church. Not denying that. But they're the exception, not the rule. And too often in our culture, they're the rule, not the exception. Because honestly, it's harder to do what's being done here. It's harder to find a peaceful solution. It's harder to admit that we're wrong sometimes. But the better thing is to guard the unity of the church. And so they agree to this proposal. They agree to stick it out. They agree to worship with people they don't agree with or have conflict with. And again, it's harder, but it's better. We also see this in the selection of the men. Because we see the church chooses selflessly. Look at that list of names there. You've got Stephen and Philip. Now part of the reason they're first is that Stephen, his story is going to pick up right after this. You know, the first martyr. And so this is, again, we've seen in Acts that Luke will introduce a character introduce a person, and then they'll get a larger story later. Okay? So we'll get to Stephen in the next couple weeks. Stephen and Philip. We actually meet him a little bit later too, and I think that's why they're both listed first. And when we get to those stories, I'm going to remind you that they're these servant guys because they're going to be preaching. And just because you, you work and you serve doesn't mean God isn't going to use you to spread the gospel. But that's, that's the big idea of those sermons, so hold on to it. But then you've got Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas. And what we notice about those names is that they're all Hellenist names. Those are all names whose background is the Greek language. Now, interestingly, from studies that have been done, the Hellenists were probably in the minority. From the best we can know, when we're talking about the Hebrews versus the Hellenists, there are probably a lot more Hebrew believers than Hellenist ones. And it's not a coincidence that the congregation as a whole picks seven Hellenist believers to solve the problem. Because you could think about what could happen. They could do the exact same thing that was done to their widows. They could have gotten revenge. Okay, you put us in charge. Okay, we'll show you guys what it was like. We'll teach you a lesson. But the Hebrew background Christians had to trust God 
that their humble selection of people, not them, that God would protect them and through it bring unity into the church. And so sometimes when, when we make decisions, we must trust God that he will protect the church and that we're making the right decision because it won't always feel that way. But again, we cannot overlook how selflessly they selected these men and how they trusted God in that selection. But I think God shows what he thinks of the selection in verse 7. Because in it we see that the church experienced the blessing of God. Verse 7 is one of these summary verses that we've seen before and that we will continue to see that every once in a while, Luke gives sort of how the church is doing. He gives an update. You know, now we go to Luke out in the field. How's the church doing? And I think one of the reasons that Luke puts this summary after the story of selecting these men to serve the church is to show that God was pleased with what the church did. Look at verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and many of the priests became obedient to the faith. One way, it's not the only way, one way that God shows his blessing is adding believers to the church. And I think in this instance, that is one reason that this summary is right here. That God shows that he is pleased with what the church has done, that they have maintained the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace by selecting seven men to oversee the care of the community, to do the detailed background work that needs to get done. And God shows his blessing through adding believers and even reaching priests. Okay, these aren't nominal Jews. The priests gave their whole lives in service to their religion. And God reaches them with the gospel and grants them forgiveness and belief in Jesus. That God is pleased when we guard the unity of our church and we dedicate ourselves to serving and caring for one another. So I want to think about sort of two main areas of application for us today. And the first, and this is sort of a big category, and I'm going to give some for instances, is that God loves servant ministry. What do I mean by that? Ministry that is oftentimes behind the scenes. Ministry that is taking care of the little details. Things like working on the building and on the grounds. Things like the benevolent fund. 
Things like visiting other church members. Things like hospitality or making meals for people. Any ministry that allows others to do ministry. So, you guessed it, nursery. (laughs) You didn't think I was going to get it in, did you? That's right. (laughs) But again, sometimes it's it's the ministries where where you will not get a parade for what you did. (laughs) But God loves when you do it. You know, I think about those of you who host for our small groups. You might, you might not lead the discussion, but your hosting of the small group allows that person who is leading the discussion to not have to worry about the details. You know, we had a little, little hiccup with one of our water heaters over the weekend, and, 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 and men from the congregation stepped up and took care of it so that hopefully many of you didn't even notice. (laughs) It's those things that God loves it, and that those little things, or the things that seem little, actually promote peace and unity. That, That this group of men, which eventually gets known as the deacons, Okay, we're not quite sure that they were called deacons right at the beginning, but we know by the pastoral epistles they are called deacons. That they were peacemakers in the church through their service. And that when you do work that is behind the scenes, that is with the kids and nursery and with the grounds and the building, you are promoting peace. And again, again, like I've said before, and I know, and I know especially men who have awoken to new service in Christ when they understand this passage. That your work mowing the lawn, changing light bulbs, fixing water heaters, that that is service to God. And it helps unify the body. I mean, I mean, doesn't that make light bulb changing a little more important? <laughs> and again, like I said, some of you may just may gravitate to that type of service, and God wants you to. God made you to do that. And you need to own it and love it because he loves it. Secondly, and again, this is meant to really begin a longer conversation of I think one of the next steps for our church is to begin to research and implement a deacon board. And over the next maybe year or two, depending what else is going on, that we would gather a group of people to unify the body through serving. And, and, as, and as the big idea says, that, that this board would, would care for members, that they would support the ministry of the word, and that they would guard and maintain the unity through their service. 
I think that's one of the next steps we need to take. And again, this will change you individually, but I think this will also change our church. Because God has made our church this way and to be this way. Let me close with this. God loves when we serve one another. Even when it doesn't feel important, even when it doesn't feel like a big deal, it's a big deal to him. And we can worship God through bringing him glory, through doing the little things to help one another. We care for one another. We support the ministry and preaching of the word. And we stay unified as a body of Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this story in the book of Acts. We thank you that you have gifted all of us differently to serve you, that you've given us all to be different parts of your body, the church. God, that we would understand what you have called each of us to do to serve the body and to support the ministry of the church, to care for one another, and to make peace and guard the unity of the church. God, that through serving one another, we would show ourselves to be your disciples by how we love one another. And that we would show how important the gospel is and, and the, the preaching of the gospel, the good news that Jesus died to forgive sins and to offer eternal life. And that because we know that message is so important, we can serve one another and put their needs ahead of our own. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.